All right, so here's what I want you to do. I want you um, to talk to me for a little bit tonight, okay? I need your participation. I'm, I'm going to ask you to be thinking about high school, college, grad school, any of that that you attended. Was there a teacher or a professor that really kind of impacted you? Was there a teacher in high school, a teacher in college that really uh was your favorite, and it may not be that they had this life-changing impact on you, but they were just your favorite. You enjoyed them because of their ability to teach, or you enjoyed something that they did, or maybe they were very instrumental in your life. Can you name, and we don't, we don't need to hear everything about that, but just, yeah, this was so-and-so, and in one sentence, here's the reason I like them. Can you name any teachers or professors that you had, high school, college, or anything like that, that, that were really important to you? Doctor who? Dr. Cabri. Cabri. Yeah, he gave yeah. All right. That's good. That's good. Uh huh. Yeah, but but he made it possible. All right. Good. Somebody else. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. But the way that we're built. Yeah. Where we're created. That's amazing. All right. Yes, in the back. Right, right, that's amazing. Where was that at, Greg? Okay, all right, somebody else? Yes? Uh. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, awesome, awesome. Give me one or two more. Professor, teacher, somebody that you just really enjoyed or they impacted you? Yes. Yes, good. Anybody else? Yes. I'm the same way, Mrs. Hackbarth in fifth grade. Uh, and she's about the only one I can remember, but she was my favorite teacher. Did you have your hand up? I'm, I did not hear that. Maybe you don't want to say it. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I, I was thinking about this today. Uh, you know, some of my favorite teachers, but one of my all-time favorite teachers at Carson Newman College, uh, Robert Sheridan, who just had this ability to bring, especially the New Testament, alive. He, he just was my absolute uh, favorite. And then I was thinking about, like, at um, 
Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, I had a professor, an Old Testament professor, Boo Heflin. And Boo, B-O-O, was his real name. That was his legal name. Uh, I'm not sure the story behind that, but that was not a nickname. That was his legal name, Boo Hep, Dr. Boo Heflin. <laughs> uh, taught the Old Testament in a way I have never, ever, ever heard it before. Brought it to life. Made it the most interesting thing in all the world. Kind of like your history teacher, you know. Uh, Dr. Roy Fish at Southwestern was my evangelism professor. I took absolutely every class he taught. In fact, I, some of them I wanted to take again because I enjoyed it so much. Sometimes you walked into a class, uh, you know, you, you walked in anticipating and you went out, you felt like I need to go out on my knees because, you know, it's just kind of a worship experience. And then sometimes you go into class and, and you feel like you're walking out on clouds. I mean, it's just amazing when you have those kind of people that, that are able to transform a subject matter, and invest in you and teach you. Dr. Chuck Kelly at New Orleans Seminary was just had this ability to teach and, and make the idea of evangelism and church growth come to life in, in a way that few communicators I've ever known. And so it really is Im impactful when somebody teaches you uh, and, and you connect, right? There's just this connection. I want you to think about this. All of us, regardless of what it is that you do for a living, all of us probably had somebody who taught us how to do what we're doing. None of us are self-made men or self-made women. In other words, if you're an accountant, somebody taught you how to do that. If you're an engineer, if you're a nurse, if you're a salesman, somebody taught you or taught you how to do what you do. Now, with that in mind, I want you to think about a man in the Bible named the Apostle Paul. And you know Paul, but let me introduce him to you quickly anyway. Probably, well, let's see if you would agree with this. Probably in the top two or three of the most influential men in the Bible. Would you agree with that? I'd put him up there in the top two, probably. Uh, definitely one of the most influential leaders in the early church. Played a crucial role in spreading of the gospel to the Gentiles primarily, those people who were not Jews. Uh, during the first century, he took more missionary journeys probably than anybody else and started at least 12 churches in, in that world. And, of course, he authored 13 books of the New Testament, um, more than any other biblical writer. Now, I would say this. I don't know of anybody really outside of Christ. I'm not just talking about impact on the Bible, but I don't know anybody outside of Christ who had an impact, watch this, in their time and in our time. And the Apostle Paul, outside of Jesus, he not only had an impact in his world, he still yet today through the scriptures has an impact in our world. Which raises an interesting question. And I want you to answer it, I just want you to think about it. It's a rhetorical question. But the interesting question is this, who taught Paul? If he had such an impact, and he did, if he wasn't the incredible leader that he was, an evangelist, a missionary, and an author, and all of that kind of thing, somebody had to teach him. So who taught Paul? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight, and the answer might surprise you. Um, but we can at least get a partial answer right now if we go to the book of Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 
Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. When we read this, we'll get a partial answer of who taught Paul. And as we read these verses, I'm going to ask you to look for the answer for three questions. I'm going to go ahead and give you the questions ahead of time. Look for the answers to these questions. First, where was Paul born? Secondly, where was Paul raised? And thirdly, who trained Paul? Now, we'll find the answers in Acts chapter 22. I think if you just follow along, it'll be pretty easy to find them. Acts chapter 22, verses 1 through 3. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. Paul is speaking on his behalf. When they heard him speak in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as jealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Now, we're not going to deal with all of that, but let's just ask those three questions again. Where was Paul born? Tarsus of Cilicia. Where was Paul raised? Huh? Jerusalem. When he, was first, when he said in this city, he was in Jerusalem at that time. When he spoke those words. He was said, and I was born in Tarsus, but I was raised in this city. Now what brought him from Tarsus... To Jerusalem, because that's not a short journey. What was it that brought him from Tarsus to Jerusalem? It's very likely that the thing that caused he and his parents to move from Tarsus to Jerusalem was so that he could be trained by the best of the best. In fact, who was he trained by? What was the man's name? Gamaliel, a rabbi, the most honored rabbi in the first century. Let me say that again. The most honored rabbi in the first century. Paul was trained by him. That's who taught Paul. That's probably the reason they moved from Tarsus to Jerusalem. So that he would have the opportunity to be trained by the best of the best. uh, The rabbi, the most honored rabbi in in their day. Now, that helps us understand a little bit of Paul's life in Judaism. Paul was trained by the best of his day in the Jewish faith. And so we understand that aspect of Paul. His life in Judaism. But now here's my question for you. Later, when he became a Christian, who trained him then? Again, rhetorical question. Don't answer it out loud yet. But later, we know how he was trained in Judaism. Gamaliel and other leaders like him trained him in in Judaism. But once he became a Christian, who trained him then? Well, this is where the answer may really surprise you. Paul gives us some information regarding that. And I'll go ahead and tell you that now that Uh, it's not nearly enough information. I wish he would tell us more about this experience, but at least he does give us some insight into what happened to his life and how he was trained after he became a Christian. So take your Bibles. Let's go to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. In Galatians chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 11. And as we read these verses, I just want you to read carefully and just marvel at where and how Paul was trained 
after he came to faith in Christ. Where and how? So let's start with where, because that's a much easier question to answer. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. Let's start with the where, the where of where Paul was trained. Paul tells us at the very end of that passage that he went to the deserts of Arabia. That's the last place on earth I'd want to go to be trained. You know, I went to New Orleans to, to be trained at New Orleans Seminary. I went to Fort Worth and, and that was good. But I would not want to go to the deserts of Arabia to be trained. And yet, that's where Paul went. We don't know the precise location of Saul's or Paul's Arabian retreat. He, however, does tell us that he deliberately went there. It wasn't like he just kind of ended up there. He went there in this vast expanse of a desert. And it is a huge desert. So, I think we've got a slide here maybe that I can point out to you. I've got a pointer here somewhere. Well, I just had it. Huh. Okay, well, I'm going to use my finger. <laughs> okay, yeah, that's, that's really good right there. So this area that they're pointing to right now, uh, you see Saudi Arabia. That, that, all of that is the Arabian Desert. Okay, all of that is. Now, over on the far left, you'll see the Dead Sea. And, and up above, over, go on over a little bit, above Jordan. Yeah, right there, the Dead Sea. And then, you can't see it very much in this map, but beyond the Dead Sea, of course, is the Jordan River, and beyond that is the Sea of Galilee. And you see where it says Lebanon. Lebanon uh, would be the area where Damascus is, and just about where they have that arrow would be where Damascus is. So, get this in your mind. After Paul was saved, going to Damascus, the Bible says he went east into the Arabian Desert. Now, the Arabian Desert goes from Syria in the north all the way down, and you can't even see where it ends, but all the way down to the bottom of the Sinai Peninsula uh, there at, at Egypt. So it's this massive desert, this huge desert, and this is where Paul went to be trained. Um, Damascus is probably just a uh, hundred miles or so away from the desert, so it wasn't that long of a journey, and yet it's interesting that that's where he went. It's interesting that that's where he, he uh, ended up. By the way, to show you something about this desert and how bad this desert is, do you see that green arc on the map? That's called the Fertile Crescent. 
the Fertile Crescent. It was the, the cradle of civilization. It was also called the cradle of civilization. The Fertile Crescent would be the, the, the route that anybody would take if they were going from east to west or west to east. In other words, they would never go across the desert. For example, uh, man, I wish I had that pointer. Um, for example, okay, look over here where it says Iraq, Babylon, all that area. That's the area where Abraham, in the Old Testament, that's the area where Abraham left, leaving his homeland to go to the land that God would show him, which of course would be Israel. Now the shortest distance between there and over to, the, to Israel is of course that straight line. But that's across the desert, and you're not going to survive if you try to go across that desert. And so Abraham did not go that way. In fact, the Bible says that he stopped at Haran, which is up there in Mesopotamia. So we know that he went this way. He followed that green ark and all the way around. And he's not the only one. At the Babylonian captivity, when they took the people from, Babylon, or from Jerusalem all the way back to Babylon, again, they followed that green ark. Anybody have an idea why they followed that green ark? Water. Tigris and Euphrates River occupied that area. So if you try to go across the desert, you're going to die. But if you follow that green arc, the Fertile Crescent, that's where the Tigris and Euphrates rivers are. That's life. But that's not where Saul or Paul went. He didn't go into the Fertile Crescent. Paul, after he was saved, went east into the desert. The desert of Arabia. Which brings up a very good question. Um, why didn't he go to Jerusalem after he got saved? Why, again, just think about this. Why, didn't, why did he not go to Jerusalem? Now eventually he does go to Jerusalem. But initially, when he first gets saved, wouldn't it be better for him just to turn around and go back to Jerusalem? That's where he grew up. That's where the, the apostles are. If somebody's going to train you, don't you think the original 12, the apostles, would be pretty good candidates to train you in, in the things of God? Why not turn around, go back home, go knock on the door of Peter and say, hey, could you help me understand who Jesus is? I just got saved and I want to serve him. Why not go knock on the door of James? I know Jesus is your brother. Can you, can you kind of disciple me? That is not what he did. One of the reasons he didn't do that, by the way, we'll see it here in a few minutes. One of the reasons he didn't do that is because when he did try it sometime later, they were all afraid of him. They didn't want anything to do with him. Because he had a reputation as someone who hated Christians and wanted to kill them, and they thought he, they were on the top of his hit list as the apostles of Jesus. So they didn't want anything to do with him. And so that's one of the reasons he perhaps he didn't go into Jerusalem. So Paul, get this in your mind. Oh, I tell you what, look on your map. I gave you a map. Listen, and you can put the other map up on the uh, screen if you would please. You've got your map, you can follow along, but this is a map of Israel. And if you'll look to the left of the Dead Sea, west of the Dead Sea, you'll find the city of Jerusalem. And if you look in the top right corner of your, of your map, you'll see the city of Damascus. You see that? So, Paul, as a Jew, left Jerusalem. He left Jerusalem heading to Damascus, which was a long journey. That was a long journey to go. 
but so filled with hatred, he wanted to go as far as Damascus to see if there's any Christians up there. And of course, on the way, he gets saved. Uh, so, we have to ask the question, once he gets to Damascus and he gets saved, why did he go into the deserts of Arabia? Well, let me propose a, one or two answers for you. First of all, some have said that he went into the deserts of, uh, of Arabia because he needed some solitude to sort things out. Makes sense. I'm sure uh, that perhaps was part of the answer. I mean, if you think about it, here was a man who had such a radical change in his life. An instant radical change in his life. Here was a man who was a Jew who hated Christians and all of a sudden he became one. And the change was so radical. Some say he went into the deserts of Arabia to kind of have solitude, quietness, and to get alone with God and to just sort things out. Trying to figure out what does this mean now that I'm a follower of Jesus? What does that mean? How do I live? All he had ever known, remember, all he had ever known was Judaism. Raised by Gamaliel. Uh, he, he was the, the Pharisee of the Pharisees. And now all of a sudden, that was gone. Now all of a sudden, all of that had changed. So now, some say he goes into the deserts of Arabia for solitude and to try to sort things out in his mind and his heart. By the way, solitude's a good thing, isn't it? Um, but I don't think that's the only reason he went. In fact, if you look at the text, he tells us, at least gives us a pretty good hint as to why he went. I will summarize why he went this way, and then we're going to read the text. Paul went into the deserts of Arabia because he was going to have a unique ministry and he needed some unique training. Let me say that again. He was going to have a unique ministry and he needed some unique training. So who trained him? That's the whole question we've been trying to get out. Who trained him? Well, read Galatians chapter 1 with me again, and it's going to surprise some of you who trained him. Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. This is not just somebody's idea. That, that's the point he's making. It was not just somebody's idea. It's not something that man made up. Verse 12. I did not receive it from any man. Parentheses. He's saying, I did not receive it from Peter. I didn't receive it from James. I didn't receive it from Thomas. I didn't receive it from anybody. I did not receive it from any man. Verse 12. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. There was nobody that came along and said, here, let, let me explain to you the ways of God and the gospel. He said, nobody taught me this. Rather, I received it by revelation from who, church? So who taught him? Jesus did. You know why he went into the deserts of Arabia? Jesus was going to teach him what he needed to know for the ministry he was going to give him. Now, if you question that, uh, just read a couple more verses. Let me find them here. Um, verses 15 and 16. Here's what he says. 
But when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son in me so that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with any man, nor did I go to Jerusalem and see those who were apostles before I was. But I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. I think that's one of the reasons, by the way, because Paul went into the deserts of Arabia and spent some time being trained by Jesus himself. Uh, I, I think that's why Paul later was so clear in his writings as he would always identify himself in most of his writings as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Let, let me show you a few examples of this. Uh, you're in Galatians. Just go to chapter 1, verse 1. A good example. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men, nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul, Paul says, listen, I, I was not sent to do this by any man. There was nobody that appointed me. No human being appointed me to this. This was something Jesus did. And so that's why he called us. Go over to the left, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'll just show you a few more examples of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, notice how he begins this letter. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And Timothy, our brother. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, here's what he says. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Same thing he said earlier. And then finally, go to Romans chapter 1. He says something a little bit different in Romans. Romans chapter 1. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. So here's my point. Paul was frequently referring to himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus. A learner, if you will. Where did he learn that? Because remember, historically, Jesus has already been crucified. He's already resurrected. He's already ascended back to the Father. Then, after that, is when Paul was saved. After Jesus ascended back to the Father, is when Paul had this Damascus Road experience. And Jesus appears to him in, in a vision of some type on the Damascus Road. It was after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus that Paul goes into the deserts of Arabia. And there, Jesus called him. He has such a unique ministry. He needed to have unique training. Now, the question is, if you go back to Galatians chapter 1, how much time did he spend in the deserts of Arabia? And I'll be honest with you, this, we can't say this with certainty, but at least give me your best interpretation. Look at the text, Galatians chapter uh, 1. Look at verses 17 and 18. And tell me how much time he spent in the deserts of Arabia. Arabia. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Less than three years. Here's, here's how Paul describes it. And again, he's, it's not very clear here for our uh, interpretation. But he says, verse 17 18, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia 
and later returned to Damascus. Now, he doesn't tell us how much time is involved there going into Arabia, and then when did he go back to Damascus? But then he says, then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Three years after he was converted, apparently is what he's talking about here. Uh, So then he went to Jerusalem. Uh, So, it gives us the, the, the idea that he could have been in Damascus for part of that time. However, I think that the majority, this is just my opinion, I think the majority of that time, close to three years, he was in the deserts of Arabia. And the reason I say that is because when he did go back to Damascus, it didn't go well. Let me show you this in Scripture. Go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. We'll come back to Galatians if you want to put a piece of paper there or something. But uh, Acts chapter 9. I want you to see when he did go finally to Damascus again, after being in Arabia, the deserts of Arabia, um, it didn't go well. It says, uh, I'm, I'm going to start in verse uh, 22. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living where, church? In Damascus. By proving that Jesus is the Christ. After many days, and we don't know how many days that is, but after many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. And so my point is simply this. It didn't go real well when he was in Damascus. The Jews hated him. And so I don't see him spending three years there. Or even a good portion of three years. I really believe that he probably spent the majority of those three years in the desert being trained by Jesus. Now, with that in mind, I want you to look at your map one more time. I want you to find Jerusalem. All right? Find Jerusalem. And just for the fun of it, if you've got a pen or something, would you draw a line, however you want to draw it, a line from Jerusalem up to Damascus. You just draw the road. However, whatever route you think he would have gone. From Jerusalem up to Damascus. Now Paul is on this journey. He tells us about it in Acts chapter 9. And he tells us in Acts chapter 9, I think it's the first three verses, um, what happened on that journey, his encounter, if you will, with Jesus. And so Acts chapter 9, let's just start at verse 1. You've drawn the map. You know he was in Jerusalem. He's heading to Damascus. And let's see what happens. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. And so you look on your map and you see how far that is. That's a long journey. Alright, so let's keep reading. So that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that is, believers in Jesus or Christians, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, as, verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? Saul asked. 
I am Jesus whom you're persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. You know that story, so we're not going to dig into that story. But I just want you to think about this. Where was he when he had that encounter with Jesus? Where was it? According to that text, where was he? Huh? On the road to Damascus. But give me a little bit more detail. Huh? Almost there. He was outside the city gates of Damascus. How far outside, we don't know. But he was near the city of Damascus. Look on your map. Don't you think God could have saved him anywhere along the way? Hey, could God have saved him in Jerusalem? Absolutely. Jesus, he could have encountered Jesus in Jerusalem. Or as he's leaving the city of Jerusalem, Jesus could have been on the road saying, whoa, 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 whoa. you're not going anywhere. I got big plans for you. you. You need to be saved. He could have saved him in Jerusalem or anywhere along the way. And so, uh, this is just for a discussion. Why in the world did Jesus wait until he got to the edge of Damascus before he appeared to him? Talk to somebody real quick. See if you can come up with any kind of an answer. I don't have a very good one, but I've got one. So see if you can come up with one. Why all the way to Damascus before Jesus appeared to him? Talk to somebody. All right. Why? Again, the Bible does not say, so this is all speculation. I'm just interested in your opinion. Why did he, did he get all the way to almost Damascus before Jesus encountered him? Say that again, Billy. Because Ananias was there. That's a possibility, absolutely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, these are all good answers. You had an answer, Vicky. You gave him a lot of thinking time as they were going. All right. Very determined to travel that far, filled with hatred. Very determined. Uh huh. That's one of my answers. I've got two answers. One of them is Damascus is close to the desert. Huh? That was my second answer. Y'all are good. And farther from Jerusalem. So Damascus, again, this is just speculation. I want to make sure I say that. It's just speculation. But Damascus is close to Arabia, the deserts of Arabia. And it's far away from Jerusalem. You see, Saul, or Paul, as he was later known, um, he was well known in the city of Jerusalem. 
if you read his, his testimony, he was, well, he was a Pharisee of all Pharisees. He, he was studied under Gamaliel. He was well known in that city. It would have been very, very difficult for him to totally change his way of thinking and his way of life in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, who was he going to go to? He couldn't go to the Jews. They would hate him because he was a traitor and had converted to Christianity. And he couldn't go to the apostles because they were afraid of him. They didn't believe that he had truly been saved. So who would he go to if he did stay in Jerusalem? I really believe that he went to the edge of Damascus when Jesus encountered him because when you have a special mission, sometimes you need special training. And the special training was going to occur in the deserts of Arabia. Maybe for as long as three years. Now how that worked, I don't have an answer. You know, did he train him every day? Did he, Jesus just show up every once in a while? I, 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 don't, I don't know how all that worked. The Bible doesn't say. It just says that Paul makes the point in Galatians chapter 1 to say, you know what? I didn't receive this from any man. The Lord Jesus himself gave me this revelation. Now, If you'll, if you'll do the math, and I'm almost done here, but if you'll do the math, three years is more than a thousand days. For well over a thousand days, that we have this, this time in Saul. Watch this, this is so good. For well over a thousand days, we have this time in Saul's life that was unaccounted for. We don't have a record of what was happening during those thousand days or thousand plus days but apparently he was listening and learning from Jesus about what was ahead Charles Ryrie said this he said in Arabia he was alone with God thinking through the implications of his encounter with the risen Christ on the Damascus road I like that James Montgomery Boyce said this the replacement of his Jewish world view by a Christian theology, would have been the work of more than a long weekend. Paul went into Arabia to think and study rather than to preach and teach. Here's what I want you to see. In that desert, I believe, Paul tossed aside his polished trophies and his credentials in Judaism. And he traded all of that in for a vital relationship with Jesus Christ. And I base that on something I do read in Scripture, Philippians chapter 3. Something that you probably have read many times. I have read it many times. But now it has a different meaning to me as I think about this possibly three years in Arabia. Here's what, here's what we read. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in... Uh, Verse 4. Though I might, in the middle of verse 4, though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Then Paul gives his testimony circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, and as for legalistic righteousness, faultless. That was his life in Judaism. Trained under Gamaliel. Just at the top of the list, everything 
he was the best of the best. And then verse 7, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whose sake I have lost all things. And I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I used to read that passage of Scripture and think of it just in terms of his salvation experience on the road to Damascus. And once he met the living Lord, he gladly let go of all of that in order to have that relationship with Jesus. And I'm sure it includes that. But I'm wondering if he did not have in mind some of the things that he learned in the deserts of Arabia from the living Lord himself. I'm wondering if that radical change on the road to Damascus led to some radical decisions as he was being trained. And he got to the point where he says, all of that is rubbish. Everything I used to treasure, everything I used to believe in, everything I used to work for, all of that is rubbish now for the treasure of knowing Christ my Lord. I think he learned that, possibly, in the deserts of Arabia. So, let's go back to Galatians and we'll end. Galatians chapter 1, reading the text in verse 18 through 24. He says, Then after three years whether that was in Damascus or Arabia or a combination of that. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Now, by the way, you've heard me say this before, but if you look on your map, Damascus is in the north. Jerusalem is, is south of that. So why does he say, I went up to Jerusalem? You know, Jerusalem is on a mountain. Whenever you go to Jerusalem, you're always going up. Whether you're coming from the north, east, south, or west. whenever you, Because it's located on a high mountain, you're always going up to Jerusalem. And so here's what he says. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter and stayed with him 15 days. Don't you know that was some great conversation right there? My goodness, the dinner conversations they must have had. I saw none other of the apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. And I assure you before God that I... What I'm writing is, is no lie. Later I went to Syria and to Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. I, I want to give you four applications. I'm just going to mention them and we're going to leave. First of all, number one. God can prepare us for what He has prepared for us. Sit again and again in Scripture. How God prepares us for what He has prepared for us. Number two, and if you're taking notes, put a star behind this one or beside this one. We need to resist the temptation to crowd out the Lord. We need to resist the temptation that we're so busy that we crowd out the Lord. We need to carve out time to be alone with God. I'm not suggesting you go to the deserts of Arabia. But could you not carve out some time just for you and the Lord? And it might be that as you carve out the time, rather than in your busyness, but in your quietness, you sense His presence and His direction. Number three, 
You can't grow deeper with the Lord at a maddening pace. Or I'll say it this way maybe. You can't grow deeper with the Lord if you're in a hurry. So Saul, Paul, went to the deserts of Arabia. And I put in my, in my notes, embrace the hidden life. The hidden life. That is that part of life where nobody else sees, but it's just you and God. Lots of people didn't know that Saul was even in the deserts of Arabia, but God knew. He was meeting with God. And number four, what God does in you is just as important as what God will do through you. Allowing God to do something in you is very, very important so that God can do something through you. Listen, we all are busy people. We, we live busy lives. But try to make sure you don't crowd out God. Paul, God was going to use Paul so greatly that he took him to a desert retreat to prepare for what was ahead. Allow God to prepare you for what's ahead. Let me pray with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for this word and for encouragement we see in the life of Paul, a man who went through three years that were hidden, there were silence, largely. We, people didn't know where he was or what he was doing, but you were working in his life, and you were preparing him to be one of the greatest evangelists and church planners and biblical authors this world has ever seen. Would you do a work in our lives in those hidden times when it's just you and us, you and when it's just, just us with you, speak into our lives and prepare us for what you have prepared for us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Hope to see you Sunday.